0: serving God, if you will. I didn't have much involvement in ministry, didn't spend a lot of time thinking about God, didn't even go to church on Sundays. I had mandatory chapel, and that was enough for me. And I began to feel bad about this, and really I wasn't going to church just because I was lazy and didn't want to get up before 10 on Sundays. And uh, I remember I began to feel guilty, and I wasn't in a good spot, so I I joined a, a ministry group. It was a ministry group on campus, and they held a Thursday night service, which was great for me because I didn't have to wake up for that, and uh, also they would go around to churches in the area and try to encourage them, and uh, for pastors who didn't have anybody to preach for them, they'd come in and preach, and they'd lead worship if a worship team was down, and they just helped, uh, helped encourage churches, and so I got involved in this group, and to be involved in this group, you had to go to a prayer meeting. And so I started going to the prayer meeting, and I ran sound for this group, so I'd set up for the Thursday night service, and uh, once I'd set up, then we'd go into this room, and we'd have about a 45-minute, to uh, hour-long prayer meeting, and then everybody would come to the service, and we'd have that service. This was an especially uh, spiritual group, if you will. Uh, they were people who were very, uh, no other way to put it, very charismatic and outgoing in the way that they worshipped and the way that they prayed, and just about the way they did everything else. And I remember I went to that prayer meeting, and we would stand around, and we would pray, and and they all came from different walks of life and different Christian backgrounds, but there was one girl who would pray, and you know when you pray, there's only a few ways to address God. You're allowed to call him Father, right? You're allowed to say, Lord... You're allowed to say God. You're allowed to say Lord God. You might even say Jesus or Holy Spirit. But she would begin all her prayers, Daddy. And this bugged me. Daddy. What is the... Now, I had heard some spiritual people say, Abba before, because Jesus refers to the Father that way. It's this intimate title of Father in Aramaic, and I'm sure that she heard a sermon one time about calling God Abba Father, a really personal God, but she would begin, Daddy. Once again, that bugged me. And I don't know if it was the word of familiarity. I don't know if she was going outside the Christian norm and that bugged me. I don't know if I just felt like she was a weirdo. I'm not sure. But every time that she would start a prayer that way, I would, oh, ah, I don't like that. I, I just can't. And, and to this day, I, I can't quite pinpoint the reason that that bugged me so bad. But it did. And I came across this story in Luke chapter 7, and I thought, ooh, I think I might have an idea why that bugged me a little bit. I think I might have come to a place where I begin to understand what was so offensive about that girl starting her prayer, Daddy. You see, the last two weeks, we've been talking about the subversive agenda of Jesus Christ, the idea that Jesus wanted to take the established system— The way that we did things, and he wanted to undercut it. And he did this in two ways. Not politically. He did this by undercutting the way that we interact societally, our social interaction. And then he also wanted to undercut our beliefs about how to please God. So those are the two main things that Jesus was subversive about. He wanted to change the way we interact, and then he wanted to change the way that we thought about pleasing God. Today we're going to dive into a story, a weird story, oh a weird moment in scripture that brings two of those two concepts together, that he wants to undercut our social interaction, but he also wants to undercut the way that we please God. And today we're going to talk about a very simple concept with a lot of nuance. And the simple concept is this. I believe that in Luke chapter 7, we see a good and right way to honor God how to please God by honoring him, and how to not honor God. And that's what we'll be talking about from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and following. Now, one of the Pharisees, stop. Now, I'm not going to stand here and assume that everybody knows what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee was a political party, a religious political party that was in the first century Jewish world. These were people who were very, very, very connected to doing the law of Moses plus the oral law, which is another set of rules on top of the law that's been passed down through the generations in the Jewish books called the Talmud and the Mishnah. These people were very concerned with regulating the day-to-day activities of anybody who was Jewish. So they're a political party, but also a very religious, interested in ritual, doing everything the right way, and they want to regulate that in your lives. This is what a Pharisee is. Let's continue. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Now when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment. Now she stood behind him at his feet, Weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair and she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet He would have known who and what kind of woman this is and who is touching him and that she is a sinner Jesus spoke up and said to him Simon. I have something to tell you teacher he replied speak Jesus said, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. Now when they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's bathed my feet with her tears. And dried them with her hair, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But to the one whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, "Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't know about you, but I think this whole story is outrageous. It's just weird. And there's no other way to put it. If this happened in our house, we would just go, what is going on here? Now I know for some of you who might be emotionally and emotive in the way that you do life, this is a beautiful story. This is an awesome story. This is like, oh yes, that woman truly got Jesus and she understood who he was and what beautiful thing that she did. People like me go, what was happening? This is weird. And sometimes we get rid of the outrage in our minds because we've read the Bible so many times. We miss the weirdness. But this is weird. Now, we've got to say a few things about this. Not only is this passage outrageous, but there's about four to five sermons that could be preached from it. There's a lot going on here in this story. So I'm going to try to bring it down and put it in one spot for us today to, to hone it and say we're looking at this story through the eyes of how we honor God and how we put God in his rightful place. The first thing I noticed when I read this is the outrageous behavior here doesn't upset Jesus. He's not outraged. He doesn't think anything's all so weird with this. Now, I tell you today, once again, if this scene played out anywhere in your life, you would go, oh, what is going on here? This is just weird. But Jesus is not upset. Now, you might be asking the question, why was the woman there in the first place? And it's a very good question. In the ancient world, when two important people got together and had dinner, there was often an after-dinner conversation about life and truth and, and the right way to live. And it was sort of a community event. So all the important people would come and they'd eat around a table. And the way that you ate in the ancient world was you didn't sit at chairs, you reclined at the table with your left arm and your feet sort of bent out behind you. So when it says she was behind him and her tears we're bathing his feet, that's because his feet were behind him at the table. But she was at the event that day because other people would have been standing there at well waiting to hear the after-dinner conversation that was taking place. What's interesting about this is not only is this outrageous thing going on with Jesus, but it's easy to look at this story and despise Simon the Pharisee. What a jerk, right? You look at that guy, and you go, here's this woman humiliating herself on behalf of the Son of God, and there's this guy who doesn't get it. Well, before we just cast Simon aside as the biggest jerk ever, think about this. Obviously, Simon noticed who was in his house during dinner, but did he kick the woman out? No. In fact, where is Simon's rebuke of this woman for doing this to Jesus? It doesn't exist. So, Before we just toss Simon aside as the biggest jerk ever, just think for a moment. He allowed this crowd in his home, and he allowed someone he knew to be a sinner in his home. Now, what's a sinner? Well, in this context, when the Bible says sinner, we're talking about someone who is most likely sexually immoral, and in the case of a woman, most likely a prostitute. That was what was probably her vocation. And so in essence, he doesn't kick this woman who by all Jewish standards was persona non grata out of his home. He allows her to stay for the conversation. Perhaps he even felt that she might benefit by it. And it's not him who goes, stop doing that. That is just weird. Who is he upset with? Jesus. Before we go any further, when we read this passage, I want to make it clear to you, the problem was not between Simon and the woman. The problem was between Simon and Jesus Christ. That was the problem that's, that's out there. Now you say, now, why did this woman do this and what was going on? Why is this, why is she so emotive? Well, we have to understand, and Luke does this often in the books of Luke, Luke and Acts, he doesn't give us the intro. He doesn't tell us what kind of interaction took place between Jesus and this woman beforehand. But whatever the interaction Whether this woman had just heard the preaching of Jesus, or whether he had accepted her as a person in spite of her status in society, she was overwhelmed by Jesus and his kindness to her. She was touched. You don't cry and soak somebody's feet with your tears unless you are touched. And whatever she planned on doing that day, we can't be sure. All we know is she went home and got some expensive cologne. And she brought it to the place that day. Whether or not to anoint Jesus or give it to Jesus as a gift, we don't know. And I don't know who this woman was. We don't have any background information of her. But I wonder if she had planned this outrageous display or if it just came about. I'm inclined to believe that this outrageous display just came about. Perhaps she brought the ointment to give to Jesus or to anoint his head, and she gets to Jesus and sees that day that this one who has accepted her for the first time in her life, this one who has told her that she could have a new life and she was not stuck in the rut of where her life had been before, no one had washed his feet. And not only that, the tears are flowing, probably because of the kindness that Jesus shows to her, and then all of a sudden, I imagine that it dawned on her, well, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to clean this guy up because that's what you did in the ancient world when you entered someone's house. Someone in the household, usually a lower servant in the household or or somebody who wasn't high up in status came and washed your feet. So I don't know if she planned the display or not. All I know is that she brought the ointment with her and she was overwhelmed by being in the presence of the son of God. And that's what I want to get to you today before we go any further. If Jesus had been a mere man, this would have been the most completely out of place display in all of Scripture. But Jesus doesn't stop her. Jesus doesn't stop her. But if this is the Son of God, and if this is someone who is coming to the Son of God, and is so overwhelmed by his acceptance of her, that she can't help but weep and and, and, and be... Even, if you will, humiliated by this display to try to show that her life is now for this person, this is completely outrageous. But if Jesus is the Son of God, and if she is overwhelmed by the level of kindness and forgiveness he's shown in her life, and if she's just so amazed at who he is and and what he's going to do in her life that this display takes place, then it becomes slightly less outrageous. But all the way here in chapter 7, we see something that we don't want to miss. The religious elite, the really important people of the day, didn't quite get who Jesus was. But so far in chapter 7, a Roman centurion and a prostitute get it and put their faith in the Son of God. So that's what's taking place that day. This humiliating, outrageous, somewhat, in our minds, gross display is a statement that God's son has come to earth. And what's Simon worried about? Not that there's a prostitute in his home. He doesn't even get mad at what she's doing. What does he get mad at? He thinks Jesus has been dishonored and that Jesus should know better. How dare he let that woman touch him? (laughs) If he was really someone come from God he'd know who was touching him, and he would never allow this. Talk about weird. Talk about a weird reaction. He doesn't say anything to this woman doing this weird thing. He thinks to himself, oh, this Jesus, he hasn't really come from God. If he did, he'd know that he's being dishonored. And what does Jesus do? Shows that he's a prophet in the moment. Shows that he even knows the thoughts of what's going on in Simon's head. And says, Simon, I've got something to tell you. This woman hasn't dishonored me. You have. You have, Simon. You've dishonored me. When I came in the doors today, dusty from the road, you didn't have anybody or yourself wash my feet, which is customary in these parts. You didn't give me a kiss, a greeting of peace on the cheek, as if I was your equal, you neglected to do that. And then finally, not only did you not wash my feet and not kiss me, but you didn't anoint my head with oil, which was also customary for the time. Yet this woman, on the other side of things, is washing my feet with her tears, drying them with her hair. How humiliating. She's kissing my feet. How humiliating. And she's anointing not my head, but my feet. You're the one, Simon, who's dishonored me. And guess what? You see her? She has honored me such that her belief in me saves her. Her sins are forgiven. Who really loves? The one who is confident in their lack of sin or the one who is sure that they've messed up their life a few times and need God on their side? The one whom I save, the one whom I choose to forgive as the son of God, is the one who honors me. You see... All throughout this book of Luke up to this point, we've seen two things. We've seen the intertwining of faith, and we've seen the intertwining of the word sin. For Luke, sin is a big deal. We've seen stories already in the book of Luke. If you're reading that book, when he sees the faith of the friends of the man who is paralyzed, he said, your sins are forgiven. He says that Jesus says he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And that's right after accepting a tax collector to be one of his disciples. In fact, just before chapter 7, people are in here in chapter 7, just before this story, people are complaining that Jesus is a friend of sinners. People who are on the outside, people who aren't doing things the right way, people who aren't living their lives in a healthy fashion, that's who Jesus is a friend of. Even centurions. Even Roman oppressors can be Jesus' friend if they what? Put their faith in him. Now, I know that this might not be coming together in our minds quite yet, so just stick with me a little bit further, but there's a connection between faith in Jesus and recognition of sin. And here's the the idea. Jesus has come to the earth to forgive the sins, to seek and to save that which was lost of all people. But they need to put their faith in him that he can do that. That he's the one that can not only make them right with God, but that he's the one who can give them a fresh start. And all these people that Jesus heals and then says your sins are forgiven are getting a fresh start. And to show that he has the power to forgive the sins of these people, what does he do? He heals their physical ailment as well. See, Jesus is looking at the faith of people and saying, if you believe that I am who I say I am, I am the son of God, and I am the God of the fresh start. So you get up and walk. Matthew, you get away from your tax collector's booth. Woman, you're a prostitute, but you find acceptance with me. You believe in me? You can have a fresh start. I'm the son of God, and I have the power to make that happen. So, Simon, don't sit there in judgment of these people. Recognize that I am the God of the fresh start. I am the God that gives people a second chance. I am the God who heals people, and I am the God who has the power and the right and ability to forgive sin and allow people to start again. And where's Simon in all of this? Simon was so caught up in his own sense of self and his own self-righteousness that he's not interested in telling the woman to stop He revels in Jesus dishonoring himself. He totally misses what's taking place that day. He revels in Jesus going, ugh, he should know who's touching him. Now I want to tell you today that the jury's still out on Simon. Luke does this a lot. He tells us stories, and he leaves us hanging. Did Simon look at Jesus and go, oh, I get it, oh, I'm so sorry, Or did Simon look at Jesus and go, get out? We don't know. The jury's out on Simon. But the prostitute and her attitude towards Jesus is acceptable to God. And even though her behavior is really out there, her heart's right. She acted very strange. It was outside of convention. But Jesus says your sins are forgiven and your faith has saved you. Why? Not because all her external actions were what God requires of all of us, but he knew because of her actions that her heart was right. And this is the nuance of Christian belief. And this is the type of thing that God was trying to explain to us all throughout the scriptures. That it's not just about what you do externally, it's about what's taking place internally. As we learned in the book of 1 Samuel, God does not look at the outward appearance like men, God looks at the heart. And he sees the heart of this woman compared with the heart of Simon. And in essence, he's saying, this woman's heart honors me. It's acceptable. Now, we don't have any type of Christian religious experience where we now go and weep at people's feet and wash their feet with our hair and, and kiss their feet. Has anybody done that? Don't raise your hand. You don't want to admit to it if you have. It's just weird. That's not what Jesus requires of everybody, is it? No, it's simply not what Jesus requires of everybody. What Jesus does require for faith in him is to say, you know what, my heart is right towards you. I recognize that doing it on my own has not been good, and now I want to do it your way, God, and I put my faith and my confidence in you that you can make me new. Once again, this story only makes sense if Jesus really is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I don't imagine that she would have been so effusive with this humiliating act of worship if she didn't believe that he truly was the son of God. And I know there's some people in here today that you feel like this woman. You feel like if you walk into church or come into social circles where Christians are at, the walls are going to fall down on you. And I want to tell you today, even though it's not the point of where we're going, Jesus is the God of the fresh start. He was forgiving of every offense. And whatever you feel your hang up is, whatever you feel your hurt is, whatever you feel like your thing is that you don't want to tell anybody else, Jesus is not here to condemn you. Jesus is here to say, You have faith in me, have faith that I can make you new. And we as the church need to make sure that we're not Simons, and otherwise, we don't need to be knocking down the pillars of the walls around you so it will collapse. When you walk in, Jesus is the God of the fresh start. But today, let's turn the page for just the last few minutes as we talk, and talk about what we see here from Simon, and what we see here from the woman. Simon has three things that I believe that he does that simply dishonor God. This is the inverted concepts of what honors God and what dishonors God. What is the subversive agenda versus what Jesus wants us to do now? Here's how Simon dishonored God. Three things. Simon was a self-righteous man, and so in his self-righteousness, just by inviting Jesus to dinner, he thought he'd done enough. Self-righteous people are always convinced that they've done enough. I've invited this guy to dinner. I'm giving him a hearing. We're gonna have a conversation. So I'm not gonna make sure that he feels accepted. I'm not gonna wash his feet. I'm not going to give him the kiss of peace. No thank you. The jury's still out on this fella. And I'm certainly not going to anoint his head with oil. That's expensive. Simon thought he'd done enough just by inviting Jesus into his house. Self-righteous people always are thinking, have I done enough? Just think of the way we've come to church sometimes. And I mentioned to you early on that sometimes when I was in college, I didn't go to church simply because I was lazy But think of the ways that we sometimes come into this building and just as an example of I've done enough. We could come into the church and say, well, I could be watching the pregame. I could be golfing. For those of you under the age of 30, I could be sleeping in. You could say, I came to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday after a long day or night of work. It's all I could do to get here this morning, so don't expect me to sing any worship songs. In essence, I'm going to sit here and let me be entertained. I know I should greet the new person who's walked in today, but I've had a busy week, so I'm just going to hug my friend and go back to my seat, and afterwards we'll get some lunch. I've done enough. You see, it's subversive in the way that we think. It's there in all of us. I've done enough to honor God. God knows my heart. My heart's good, so my actions don't need to reflect my heart. We get into this place with God where when we've known him for a while, we just are always saying, I've done enough. I'm not going to be any more effusive. I'm not going to do any more than what I'm already doing. I've done enough. I've got it. Simon was a man who believed he'd done enough by Jesus. And Jesus calls him out on it and says, your attitude and your heart are not in the right place, Simon. The second thing Simon does that is a sign of self-righteous people who dishonor God is he thinks that his relationship with Jesus is purely intellectual. He was all in for the discussion and the debate for after dinner. He was all in for talking to Jesus about the truths of things, but a heartfelt connection between him and Jesus was not being fostered whatsoever. We do this in our modern day. We come into the Christian experience in the Christian environment and we want to read our Bibles just so we could know a little bit more. And by the time you get to a certain place in the faith, perhaps you're standing there on a Sunday morning dissecting the worship chorus for its intellectual content rather than worshiping. I want to tell you today that God, Jesus, is highly relational. But a self-righteous person exchanges the relationship for the pursuit of knowledge. And Jesus isn't impressed with our knowledge. He's impressed by our heartfelt desire to be connected to God and our heartfelt desire to do things God's way. The third thing, the third thing that Simon does that dishonors God that is a signal of self-righteousness is that you dwell on what's wrong with other people. Dwell on what's wrong with other people. Who did Simon dwell on? What was wrong with both the woman and God? He was upset not only that this woman was there because she shouldn't be touching him, but he was upset with, you should know that she shouldn't be touching you. So many times as we've been down the road in our faith journey, we get so, so judgmental of the other people around us, and we get so, so judgmental of God God, why did you let that happen? Why did you do things that way? I'm really not impressed with the way you handled that. That's what self-righteous people do. They question God constantly. And they question the actions of the people around them. This is who Simon was. I was doing the study this week, and I was writing my sermon, and I was typing it out on on my computer, And as I would type out a little bit more, I'd leave, and I'd do another task. And I would type out a little bit more, and I'd leave, and I'd do another task. And this happened a number of times as I was writing the sermon this week. So I left my office for a few moments, and I was doing something here in the sanctuary, tidying something up, and I just felt the Lord calling me to pray. So I thought, all right, I'll pray. So I knelt here, and I began to pray for a few minutes. And all of a sudden, I just felt this strong urge to begin to confess sin to God confess things in my life that weren't right and I began to do that and I just over and over lord I do this lord I I I recognize this oh god I think you're showing me this wow that was my entire prayer time you think what are you doing right so my entire prayer time just confessing before the lord and just coming into contact with his grace and just thanking him for his for his forgiveness and I went back to my office and I didn't know that this has happened but I looked at my screen and I wanted to pick up where I left off, and it said, Star, 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 I am Simon. And I don't remember writing it. Star, 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 I am Simon. I got distracted, stood up, went and did some other things. God called me to pray. And when I came back, I thought, uh huh, uh huh. Somewhere in your spirit, God was dealing with you on your self-righteousness that you wrote something you don't even remember writing. And a few minutes later, he went, it's time to pray. It's time to get in contact with me. And I thought, ooh, that's good. That'll preach, right? I just thought, wow, God, isn't that the way you work sometimes? You're trying to get a hold of our hearts, and we make it such an intellectual pursuit. Or we convince ourselves, I've done enough. I've prayed enough this week. I am a prayer warrior. I've really studied the scripture this week. Boy, do I know a lot. I helped somebody for 15 minutes on Thursday. Boy, am I the hands and feet of God. I've done enough. And we're so content in our own level of self-righteousness, and we don't see God going, newsflash, 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 where's your heart? Where's your relationship with me? What's going on with you? Because we can do all the things in the world that look right, but Jesus was interested in our heart and the attitude of our heart. Are we really doing it to honor him or are we just doing it to honor ourselves and our own ego? Enter the woman who honors God. The woman who is both humble in her demeanor and her actions, but the woman who is also confident in who Jesus is and what he can offer her. See, this woman came that day because she had put her faith in him, first and foremost. She came because she believed that Jesus was the God of the fresh start. And by her effusive acts of outrageous worship, she was saying to Jesus and anybody who cared to watch, I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. I believe that you can forgive my sins and make me right with God in heaven, and I believe that you can make me new. That's what the woman was doing that day. You say, how do you know that? We know that because of the context of what Jesus was preaching to people. We know that because of the effusive nature of her worship, and we know that because of the words that Jesus spoke to her before she left. So we're reading in with our context clue. She believed who Jesus said he was, that he could make her new, that the kingdom of God could come in her life, and she could stop living her way and start to live the way God designed her to live. And she was aware of her sin and aware of what was wrong with her. She was aware of the things that were messed up and she was willing to repent of those things and want to turn her life around. Now you say, well, well, I'm that way too. I started coming to church. And when I started coming to church, I realized that if I come to church and I listen to preaching, I will probably get some real good ways to start living better. I'll have a self-help class, if you will, every Sunday morning. And I'll begin to do better in my life than my, my wife will love me more and my husband will love me more and my kids will love me more and my relatives will love me more and, and I'll do better at work if I could just learn something. But learning is not the issue of the matter. It's not, it's not it. It's not the center of what's going on here. Simon might have been teaching, treating this like a self-help class. The woman was not. The woman was putting her confidence and her belief in someone to do something in her that she could not do herself how many times when there're riots in this country do you hear somebody get on the on the on the news broadcaster how many times when there's a shooting in this country do you hear somebody get on the news broadcaster how many times when you hear the most outrageous sinful bad behavior coming out in society and you get on the news contest and some n- news and some Talking head comes on and says, the real problem is we just need to educate people. We just need to educate people. That's going to take care of it. I happened to be watching on PBS Masterpiece Theater or something last night, Oklahoma. I, I, I really can't stand that musical. I didn't get all the way through it. It's real, I'm sorry. If you like Oklahoma, I'm sorry, Tom. I'm so, he, Tom loves Oklahoma. You probably go into work singing, "Oh, what a beautiful morning," every day, and your coworkers probably don't like you for it. Anyhow, uh, I, I was watching Oklahoma, and there's a song in there that I remember from watching it years ago. And there's this there's this girl who's well being inappropriate, and the song's entitled "I'm Just a Girl Who Can't Say No." And she said, "Ever since I was six, I knew what was right, but I'm just a girl who can't say no." Educate people. We know what's right and wrong. I was reading a book recently, and there was a story of all these Harvard students who were majoring and had great grades in ethics class. But there was a girl in the class who was trying to pay her way through college and make up the difference between her financial aid and what she had to pay in tuition, so she was cleaning the rooms of the other students. And so she would go into these rooms, and as she would, people from her classes in ethics Would be mocking her and they'd leave messes for her and they'd be mean to her and there were even guys from the class who were sexually harassing her and all of these people according to the Harvard professor were getting A's in ethics. Was any of the behavior ethical? So what Jesus has come to do and why Jesus wants you to have a relationship with God is because there exists a true disconnect between head knowledge and living and right. And he said human beings for thousands of years have been operating in head knowledge going, I'm just going to get it right. And Jesus is going, you need to put your confidence in God to get it right in you. Simon was confident that he was getting it right, but the woman in the story was sure that she wasn't. Are you Simon? I sure am. Because I can get real confident in my own self of doing it right. But if I really want to do it right, I get on my knees before God and say, God, you've got to do it through me. I can't do it myself. It's why Jesus came. The disconnect between the head knowledge and doing it right is that you need God in your life to make it happen you need God you need to pursue Jesus to make you new that honors God God loves it when you say I can't do it but I trust that you can He wants too a highly personal relationship with you and I want to tell you today you might not be a very emotive person you might not be a person who loves to hug people you might not be a person who who loves to worship and throw your hands in the air and dance before God You want to know what? Jesus still wants you to have a personal relationship with him and to come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I don't know what that looks like. Don't ask me to do anything weird, please. You say, oh, that's not Christianity. Well, no, you might end up doing something that looks a little weird. But that's not the point. The point is this. Jesus, I really want a relationship with you. That's why he came. He didn't come to give us more knowledge. He came in order that we might know that God wants a relationship with each one of us. The woman figured that out. Simon did not. And finally, the woman honored God because her faith allowed her to worship him. She believed he was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he could do. And therefore, she had to worship him. She had to admit that this was not some mere man, but this was the very son of God. And if he is the son of God, and God is really so loving and so gracious and so full of mercy, that he would come to the earth and show kindness and mercy and grace and love to me, he's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of it. There is nobody who has ever lived but Jesus, the son of God, who it would be okay for someone to wash their feet, wash his feet with their tears. He's the only one who that would be okay for. That's it. There's No one else who's ever lived who is deserving of that kind of treatment. And rather than Jesus looking at the woman that day and saying, stop, you're humiliating yourself. Just as he read Simon's heart, he read hers and said she's not doing this to make a show. She's not doing this to prove to everybody just how humble she is. She's doing this because she's overwhelmed at me, the son of God, who she's met and what I can offer her, which is a fresh start and a right relationship with God. That causes people to worship. Once again, I ask you today, are you Simon? Are you Simon? Do you have an inability to worship God? You say, no, I just have an inability to sing in public. Okay. I just have the inability to raise my hand in public. That would make me feel weird. Okay. I just have an inability to be effusive in my praise of anything. Okay well, then maybe you should put your confidence in God and say, God, I want to honor you. What would you like me to do to worship you? I believe you are who you say you are and that you can do what you said you can do. And if you are who you say you are and you're truly the son of God, I want a relationship with you and I want to worship you because I understand that it'll be you I'm worshiping in heaven. a hard message today because it calls us to really be introspective about where our heart is at with God. And it's not a message that I came today really excited to preach. I am Simon. And I believe we all are to some extent. I think the Lord would have us today say, Lord, examine my heart. Is it hard? Is it hard? or is it soft towards you? You didn't come to the earth for me to have a head knowledge relationship. You came to earth that I might truly know in a spiritual sense and in a true sense, relationship to God. Help me. Help me to do that. My faith is in you. I'm in contact with who I am and who you are. Help me. That's what honors God. That's what honors God. Let's pray.